I'm going to be one of those ASMR people. Is it recording? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Welcome back to another episode of One Nothing Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda, and your prayers have been answered. We have Rachel. Hi. She's back with us. How have you been? Good. Just good. That's it. (laughs) Great. I love that. That that consumes a lot of the time that I expected us to, to have. Over the... Yeah, this is like supposed to fill up like. Oh minutes. no, I'm just kidding. I was <laughs> gonna say. I mean, we can get into the nitty gritty, but I don't think we have enough time for that. How's the new job? Good. Yeah, it's good. Tiring. Yeah. Adjusting to this nocturnal life. I know. I was telling a little bit on the last episode about your crazy four to fours. I know. I don't know how she does it. And she's not even a zombie. No, no. I just wake up and go. <laughs> yeah, she'd have you believe that. She's over here looking like a supermodel. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> So we have a little bit of a wild card today because Rachel does not know a single thing about our victim. Not one. Normally I clue her in, like in a general sense, who they are or like what happened to them, but just very brief details. But this one is a total mystery to her. She knows nothing. So we'll get her true authentic reaction to all of the details. Live here. In real time. You heard it here first. (laughs) All right, before we get into the fun stuff, I have a few people that we want to plug. We've had a lot of people reaching out to us on Instagram and TikTok lately, and I really appreciate that. So as my way of kind of paying it back to you guys, I want to give some of the people who have interacted or followed with us most recently a little shout out. So we have, apologize in advance because I'm not going to pronounce all of these correctly. H. Christina, The Freckle Files, First Church Artesia, StreamlineMedia.ai, We Good Media, this isn't therapy podcast, crime and spirits pod, which they're pretty cool. You should go check them out. Mm. The track collections, the truth of youth, Hollywood podcast, seven, one, six nurse incognito, 1776 numbers living with perks, the sirens podcast, twisted chamber. And there's a lot more, but we'll be here all day if we do all of them. So thank you sincerely from the bottom of my heart for your engagement and for listening to our episodes. You guys are the best fan base ever. If you can call you that. And I do. I'm convinced they're the best. (laughs) These last few weeks, we've gotten a lot of love and help from other podcasts. And all of them have been great. But I just want to shout out a couple of them specifically. Um, Three of them, actually. I downloaded all of them to my personal Apple podcast list. And I've been listening to them. And they're really great. So I want to give them a shout out as well. Because they've all kind of, like, reached out and helped us a little bit. With Oh, sorry. They're fine. Roping Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) They all reached out with some advice and little tips and tricks that have helped us kind of grow our follower count and stuff like that, which is instrumental for podcasts because it's hard to get out there. So the first one is the BDBO or Bring Bring the Boots Out podcast. Um, They're really, really cool. They gave me a bunch of free advice, which is really awesome, genuine people. Um, They have a little something for everyone on their podcast. They have some really hysterical episodes. Like they have a drunk talk series that they do over a couple different episodes. You'd probably really like that. Um, really good stuff. So just go give them a listen. And then there's also um, Now About That with James and Sarah. They've been really great. James actually reached out to me in a message and said some really inspiring and supportive words. Uh, I gave a few of their episodes a listen and like their dynamic is really great. They bring like something for everyone. Like they talk a lot about like relatable life topics, um, doctor's appointments, things that happen to them. Just super cool. Lastly, there's a podcast called Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy. It's really cute. It's hosted by a mom and her son. Aww. And they do some really good research and have a lot of detail about their episodes that they discuss anything from, like, strange occurrences and adult beverage recipes and true crime. So if you're anything like me, that's the perfect combo. 
It's definitely worth a follow. If you like what you hear, and I'm confident that you will, go give them a follow, um, like I said, and a like, and rate them five stars if you can. All right. Well, that's all we have for today. Thanks, guys, that's for tuning in. All right, cool. I can go home. <laughs> Just kidding. We have our question of the week, which, not surprising, was not successful. Um, our question was from episode four. It was a little more personal than the other ones. And I just asked that if you'd ever had an interaction with a wild animal that ended in injury, we did not get a single response. No, no. Beyond the typical Instagram scammers trying to sell us promotion. Um, but that's okay. They won't all be winners, but Rachel wasn't around for that question. So last, let's ask her in the event that she's got a story for us. Rachel, have you ever been injured during a wild animal interaction? Wildlife animal interaction. I think, and I'm the, not counting the vultures that like try to sneak you at the wildlife sanctuary. Oh, that did happen. That's probably closer Bring than what I was gonna. What I was Human gonna actually gonna say. What I was gonna say is I've been victimized by them. Definitely You've been victimized. Yes, not like. What was the question? What were the like exact? Been like held at gunpoint by like a duck or like. An, no, actually, a duck did bite me though one time. Actually, oh, that's yeah, definitely the same thing. So yeah, no, I actually have a couple. Let me let me just reel into them really quick. So one of them, and I would like to. I think the way you were you you pronounce this is prefaces, right? Preface. Sure. Okay, I would like to preface this by um, some telling, people say preface, but it's okay, preface. I would like to preface this. By saying don't do this, my only saving grace is that I was literally five and I had no like better idea. Um, I was feeding ducks or I was feeding um, the ducks bread. Don't do that. That's yeah, really bad. bad for them. Ducks, yeah, please don't do that. I was five. I literally had no. It, my, who gave you this bread? It, my grandmother, who's not even from this country, so she oh. also had no idea. She, she, they don't she, have ducks in her country. They, you know what? Probably not because they keep feeding them bread, or maybe they just don't have enough money to have bread to give to the ducks. I don't know what life is like in Colombia like that. Um, I would like to hope they have ducks. They have hippos. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They do. Anyway, I was feeding this little bitch ass duck some bread and the motherfucker bit me. Granted, I think he was trying to get the bread. He didn't have teeth. It was more shock than anything that hurt my feelings more. But yeah. And then I think the second, honestly, I count Huey and Dewey. They are wildlife. <laughs> There are these. So, for those who don't know what we're talking about, Rachel and I volunteered at a wildlife sanctuary for a little bit, and they had some turkey vultures, and there was three of them, I think, right? Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Yeah, and they were all in these outdoor aviary pens, and we our job was basically to scrub the disgusting, rotten, roadkill-containing shit off of their nesting boxes and off of their ponds, and while being instructed how to do so, like I don't even know what happened. Like a vulture, like went ape shit behind Rachel. Scared everybody. I could feel his feathers brushing past my curls and the gusts of wind just like blowing everything. And I was like, what is happening? Mind you, Rachel's like a little over five foot tall. So that vulture had some air. And I was like, oh. He was coming at her. I was like, oh, I don't feel safe in this box. And then another one. This one, I wasn't injured. Um, I mean, I wasn't injured with the vultures either other than emotion. But... (laughs) This one, yeah, this one, I also was emotionally victimized. I was at a park and I was like seven or eight 
and I didn't, it was hot. There was mosquitoes everywhere. I didn't really have any kids to play with. My, my mom was there for like this church thing. I, I don't really remember. It was basically, there was only adults there and I was bored. And I went to go lean over like a railing and I put my entire hand in like squirrel poop. And I was really upset because in my mind that justified going home right then and there. So I could wash my hands and just not be there anymore. My mom said that that wasn't realistic and gave me hand sanitizer and told me to stop <laughs> crying. So I was just, you know. I, mean, I can confidently say. Yes. With confidence. Yeah. Never in my 34 years of life have I seen fecal matter and been like, that squirrel shit. <laughs> like your identifying <laughs> abilities when it comes to feces is a one. No, well, I mean like I like what shit. else would it have been? You know, like um, I don't know, bird shit maybe. Bird shit's white. Oh, and it was just like it was like well, was I'm, it in the shape of a turd. Is it like a little no? I had smeared food? it. Like I had leaned <laughs> over the railing and I had rested my arms on like this wooden <laughs> railing. And when I she went to go, sanitizer? yeah, she like, told me to yeah. stop crying and gave me hand sanitizer. Not even a, like a napkin. We didn't have. We weren't. We didn't What'd have. What you wipe it on? I was. Cr- I probably myself, to be honest, I was crying. My mom was like, "We're not going home." I'm more of an indoor cat, to be honest. I'm not really meant to be in the outdoors, let alone in Florida in the middle of summer. So I'm pretty sure she thought it was also exaggerating, but I wasn't. It was on me. Like I didn't. But yes, anyway, those are yeah. my only wildlife no, stories. That's, that's a really good answer to the question if you've ever been injured by a wild animal. <laughs> An ant bit me once. <laughs> really glad that your poop story about the squirrel <laughs> was what came to mind. That's honestly <laughs> the only thing that did come to mind. It's all about the entertainment factors, you know? It's all good. That was my chair. <clears throat> or maybe it was a squirrel. Maybe. Who's to say? Just... Getting stronger, stalking me. Oh, oh boy. We should just make a podcast about your personal experiences with the feces of small mammals. Sorry, your AC turned on, and I thought that was, like, literal rain, and I was like, I know for a fact it's not raining this Did your windows down? No, but no. still. Like, it's probably going to rain tomorrow. That's fine. It can rain tomorrow. I don't care about that. I would like it to not rain tomorrow. I would like to go to the park tomorrow morning, take my dog for a walk. I don't do that, but yeah. Anyway, back to what we're doing because mm-hmm. I forgot there for a second. So. <laughs> but now you all know the weather plans of Southwest Florida. So enjoy if you live where that affects you. <laughs> so I want to issue a correction because on episode four, I mentioned that uh, during the tragic death of Gloria Surge that we discussed, um, that two other alligators that were removed from her community, as well as the alligator that attacked and drowned Gloria. But upon further inspection, once I had released the podcast, it was too late, unfortunately, to go back and fix it. But I found that in total, four alligators of pretty impressive size were removed. So, my bad. Got it wrong. Here, fix it. I fix it for the TikTok reel. <laughs> um, yeah. Also want to point out that in the cause of death officially was drowning. Not alligator attack, but she was attacked. So, the gator to kill her, but, you know. We're all about accurate, reliable information, so moving on. I have a special shout-out for you about today's episode. Uh, Courtney from Haunt's Podcast suggested our victim today. I sadly had never heard of her prior to Courtney reaching out, so thank you very much for recommending her. I'm really happy that we can get her name up there a little more. This did happen a few years ago. 
Um, so I just want more people to know that this amazing human existed and to hear her story and then hopefully learn from it, which is the point of our podcast. Our little pre-story warning, we do discuss sensitive content throughout this episode. Listener discretion, as always, is advised. Our podcast is marked explicit across all of our platforms. Trigger topics in the episode include specific details of a death and then probably foul language. Most likely foul language. Definitely foul language. Yeah, that one's more on me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, good. So I put the explicit. (laughs) Cover my butt. If you have hylophobia or you're under 18 years of age, please listen to something else, something more appropriate. Don't let your kids listen to it. You know the whole shebang. All right. Well, I'm excited for this one. How are you feeling? I'm nervous. Oh, <laughs> nervous. That's a new emotion. I mean, not really, but like for you. Well. Well, not really, but for, for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more of like, I don't know where this is going. Yeah. Any guesses? Yeah. Well. I don't know if I can promise you that. I mean, you know what podcast we're in, right? Definitely death. No happy endings. Well, <clears throat> no, never any happy endings. I do have a special soft spot for our victim today, and I think as we read through, you'll agree. Um, I have a lot in common with our victims in terms of, like, the way that we viewed life. But does she love animals? our aspirations? In a sense, we'll get there. But to get started into it, we have to travel back in time a little bit. Ooh. Yeah, so we have to go back, not too, too far, just to a nice, warm, vibrant day in 2012. Ooh. Yeah. We That's back. where everything went wrong. Well, you're not wrong. Um, but this was a time when one particular 66-year-old grandmother by the name of Geraldine Largay, or Jerry, have you heard of her? No. No? Good. This will be all more interesting for you. <laughs> Her, uh, more, she's more affectionately known as Jerry, so we're going to refer to Jerry. her for the most part as Jerry throughout the story. Mamma Jerry, got Mama it. Mamma Jerry. Um, she was turning on one of her lifetime's largest dreams and kind of manifesting some stuff, um, putting it in the beginning stages of reality. She had been hmm. spending a lot more time enjoying an activity that she loved vastly, and that was hiking. Oh, okay. And hmm. after years of just taking little small steps and getting more experienced, she was forming one huge aspiration and goal, and then... Eventually, she began begging her husband of 42 years, George, to help her achieve it. It was like a bucket list item of epic proportions. Was it like hiking Mount Everest or something or Mount Kilimanjaro? Close. Close. So by this time in their lives, they're in their 60s. Um, Gron, George, (laughs) not Gron, that's not a name. (laughs) George had grown fond. See, that's where he came from. Of his new life of retirement, he was just enjoying the simple life. Oh, like being like sedimentary. Yeah, not yeah, just not having a schedule so much. I'm going to go to work and slave away at the old work every day. Um, Alongside Jerry, they had raised an intelligent and well-rounded daughter. Her name was Carrie, and even though the marriage took place in 1971, they were pretty resilient and loved each other passionately. Kept their marriage alive. I love that for them. Small little arguments every now and then, such as in any marriage. But at the end of the day, Jerry loved George, and George loved Jerry. So much so that when Jerry began talks of maybe completing one of her wildest dreams, which was traversing the Appalachian Trail, hmm. George didn't give up so much as even a huff in helping her towards achieving it. Oh. Yeah. George was a avid nature lover, as was Jerry, but Jerry was more so. She was a lot more passionate about the outdoors mm-hmm. and about being, you know, in nature, away from the bustling city life. And she'd already collected hundreds of miles of experience hiking, um, particularly in Tennessee. She was born in Brentwood, spent some time around Nashville. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> small hiking there, little trails, little parks, but nothing like the massive endeavor of completing half of the world's longest walking route, which is what she was aspiring to do. Oh. Now, she wasn't really preparing to do the whole trail. 
The whole trail spans from the mountains of Georgia, and it's over 2,000 miles long, and it leads all the way north to Maine. Oh, wow. Yeah. She wasn't ruling it out for, like, a future adventure, but for now, seeing as how most of her life had been spent indoors as a housewife to George, Jerry really didn't feel she had the skills to do the whole distance. Fair. So her and George discussed among them, and they landed on this little plan of theirs. Jerry said, like, she's going to start in West Virginia and cut the tra- trail in half, essentially, okay. and walk north. To Maine. So she's yeah. going to walk from West Virginia to Maine. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. okay. So she starts in her Harper's Ferry in West Virginia, and she her plan is to walk north until she reaches Millinocket, Maine, which is almost to the end of the trail. Okay. Not quite, but pretty close. Um, George would follow behind in the SUV. And the couple planned to meet, like, every two to three days, and he would load her up on water and food, pick her up for the occasional, like, comfort stay in the hotel, and then he'd bring her back to the trail in the morning, and then they would meet up again two, three days later. So he kind of followed alongside her in a car with that's, her supplies. That's a good way to do yeah. it. Especially at their age, like, you know, I feel like that's a smart yeah, way to do it. wants her to stay safe. Yeah, yeah, They also agreed on, like, a very specific plan for communication, and Jerry texted George every couple miles so that George could keep track of her progress and see where she was at. And then they would set meeting points of when she should be there, approximately how long it would take her to get there. And then they would, you know, she would stay in touch with him via text to let him know her path. Um, She'd even earned a little hiking nickname, which was a reward bestowed upon only those who frequent like larger trails like Mm -hmm. that. And she was called the inchworm. So the inchworm strategy is exactly how she planned to make it across the trail. Okay. So 1,000 miles over 1,000 miles is what she was wanting to do. That was going to be like her record that she was going to confidently say she hiked 1,000 miles. That's like her goal for her. Okay. So even with like a seemingly foolproof plan in place, George was still worried. My wife's 66. She's going to be spending these nights alone out in the wilderness. And then also on top of those concerns, Jerry was on a couple different medications. Uh She had severe anxiety. And she had been on Ativan and Lexapro since 2005. I also think she probably had a little depression if she was on Lexapro, but, you know, Mm. either way. Um, She was also afraid of the dark to, like, a crippling degree. Oh, maybe maybe this is a – how'd she – Well, so she's wanting to overcome a lot of those kind of hindrances. Oh, got it, So, like, this is, you know, like the pivotal part in her life where she achieves this huge feat. So those factors together made George a little nervous, but he didn't really waver in his support of his wife. And he was over the moon when Jerry was like, hey, I have someone who's going to walk with me. So her name was Jane Lee. And he was very, very relieved that she like, has someone with her now yeah. on the trail that also has experience hiking. And they planned um, until the long-awaited day came, but they even took Jerry and Jane, took like a five-day hiking course from this really well-known professional about like how to hike and like what to pay attention to and mm-hmm. necessities to bring with you and stuff. So she completed that course with plans to start her hike like a year later or so. Okay. So she planned it out. Yeah. So let's talk about that next year where she went. So April 23rd, 2013, we're going to jump a year forward. So okay. it's a brisk, but pleasant April day. You get the promise of a very unique summer in the mountains on the horizon. Jerry is packed to the nines. She's got food and water, Lighters and matches, a tent, a sleeping bag, and then some personal effects, like, of that, her journal and her cell phone, which were, like, the, her most prized of her possessions that she was taking with her. She also had, like, a couple little, like, photos and stuff of family. <clears throat> um, so she's got all her gear. She's all excited. And she's full of determination. She takes this photograph in front of the trailhead, and she smiles. There's not a drop of fear or hesitation in her face. She's, like, ready to go. I'll post the photograph later on Instagram. She just looks so happy, and she's ready to depart on this adventure, and it's going to take her, like, at minimum a few months. She's got a 1,000 miles, yeah, and she's yeah. stopping every two to three days, you know. So her husband is in the SUV. He's packed up, ready to go. He's, you know, got the time 
few months to dedicate to doing this. He's like, what's a few months in the grand scheme of things? Right. We spend the rest of our lives sitting at home. What's a few months? So Jane's bursting at the seams. She's just like, oh, such anticipation. She just wants to get, get going. So with a goodbye and a see you in three days, the duo leave. They're off. So I do want to stop here for a second and talk a little bit about the Appalachian Trail because it is really the coolest trail we have in the United States. <laughs> like, honestly, I want to talk about why. Um, and this is why this feat of completing even half of it is just so enormous. This would seem insane to anyone if you weren't like an avid outdoors person. So the Appalachian Trail, as I mentioned earlier, is the longest hiking footpath in the world, not just the U.S., the world, the longest point-to-point trail that you can walk in a continuous fashion. From end to end, it spans, spans 2,190 miles in length, crosses through 14 states, and the northern part starts in Catadin, Maine, and the southern ends in Springer Mountain in Georgia. It also encompasses the Appalachian Mountain Range, and about 3 million people use the trail each year, with another about 3,000 people attempting to through-hike the whole thing. Oh, wow. So end-to-end. And of that 3,000, it's estimated about 25% make it and actually do it. And like, do other people die? No, they just a lot of people are like, oh, oh they give too up. much. And, yeah, because it's like probably, I mean, six months maybe to walk the whole thing through to through. It's a massive amount of terrain. And it's not like all easy trail. There's a lot of, it's through a mountain range. So it's pretty, it gets difficult at parts. <clears throat> the trail was established in 1925. And ever since its completion, about 99% of it has been rebuilt or relocated or changed in some fashion. So mm-hmm. it's really not even the trail that was formed in 1925. Oh, anymore. I see, I see. Um, it's much bigger and it remains the longest and the largest volunteer led conservation project in the world. So it's entirely funded by volunteer effort alone. No hmm. government agency funds it or anything. Hmm. Um, and if that wasn't impressive enough for you, the fact that the elevation gain and loss from walking the trail end to end, the amount of feet that you would gain and lose and back and forth, the equivalent of 16 Mount Everests that you would do just oh, taking wow. that trail end to end. That's how much elevation you would get. Um, despite its size, though, the Appalachian Trail crosses a paved road on average every four miles. So it's really not that remote. Like it has remote parts, mm-hmm. but it's not that remote. And then off topic, but I learned something which really disappointed me. But I wanted to know if you knew it and what you thought okay. on this question. Let's hear it. I was really bummed out to learn this. So in the lower 48 states, not counting Alaska, Hawaii, what's the furthest you think you can be from a paved road in the lower 48 in America? Like miles. Like, are you when you say like lower forty eight? <coughs> like not including Alaska, not including Hawaii, but oh, so like the oh, states. the other oh, forty eight. How many miles road. away from a paved road? Oh, how many miles? Not like what state? Like how many miles? Yeah, like how many miles away from a paved road do you think the most like primitive, vast wilderness in America is? Like fifteen miles. Oh, I'm disappointed because I definitely thought that we had much more wilderness, but it is. It's uh, it's in the Yellowstone National Park, the most remote part of the lower 48, and it's 21.7 miles away from the okay. nearest road. Yeah, I, I was so disappointed. Well, because you got to think of like, even if they're not populate like popular roads, it's like still technically yeah, like, like logging roads yeah. and stuff. But just like I don't know. It's just so sad that I can't, the farthest I can get from civilization 21 is 20 miles. miles. 21 point, what was it, 21.7? 21.7. 21.7 miles. Now, mind you, to hike out to the most remote place, because it's on, like, some really, like, inaccessible by road, would take you a week just to go there and back. 
What, what do you mean? Because of the terrain. To hike out to the most remote part, which is in Yellowstone. Oh, oh, oh. To hike out from the road to that spot and back would take over a week. Somebody oh. actually did it, and they got really cool photos, but it's still really mm. depressing. I've always wanted to do Yellowstone National Park and take the wolf-guided tours. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah. And the bear tours at Glacier and yeah. stuff. I thought it would be really cool. Okay, we'll have to talk about the, oh my gosh, what is it called? The freaking whatever chalet down there in Glacier Park where all the bear mullings happen. Oh yeah, I don't want to do. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Oh, I want to go there. I don't. I want to stay there if at all possible, but I can't remember the name of the chalet now. It's in Montana, right? Yeah, it's in Glacier National Park in Montana. No, I wanted for my birthday. It's I wanted where all to the go. bear mullings happened back in like yeah, oh, the sixties or something. I do. I want to go there. I would definitely want to stay there. Now it's gonna bother me that I can't remember the name of the chalet. Oh, no, Granite Park Chalet. There you go. Mm. Granite Park. If anybody wants to hear about that before we eventually do probably an episode. I don't know. That'll be a long episode. I'm actually down for it because when you were telling it to me at work, I was very invested in that story. It's a good story. And you didn't even, like, do all the details. We could do, like, part. We could do, like, a series. It would be a mini-series for sure. Well, maybe we'll do Granite Park Chalet sometime. That's a good one. But anyway, we'll get back to our story. I I keep getting off track. I'm so sorry. (laughs) So yeah, I'm really disappointed that we can't be more remote than 21 miles away. But anyway, so back to Jerry. It's early July. Jerry and Jane have made it almost a thousand miles. So they're almost at that goal. And it was supposed to be a momentous occasion for Jerry. The plan had worked up till now. They've been a few months. It's they started in April. It's July now. They've spent mm-hmm. three months on the trail, mm-hmm. um, doing this meeting every few days thing. Um, Everything was going well. Didn't have any issues with wildlife or weather. She was feeling pretty good about the next chunk of her hike, which was a little more treacherous than the previous part. It was like the part of the hike that takes you really over some ridges of mountains. It was a little more of a treacherous hike. Um, But she felt pretty good about it. And then tragedy struck. Her hiking partner receives a call that nobody wants, a family emergency. She had to leave, like, immediately. She's like, I got to go. I hope her family's okay, by the way. I never found out what the emergency was. But family, I hope your family's good. Uh, so Jerry's alone now. She'd be lying a little bit if she said she wasn't worried, you know, like Jane, she, Jane and her have done a pretty good job of following the trail, which was marked with brightly colored blazes. So blazes are like tree markings. I don't know if you've been hiking on a trail that's blazed, but sometimes they can be little like plastic ribbons they tie around the tree. Sometimes oh. they can be spray painted X's. I know. It can be a variety of things, but it's how you mark the tree to follow a trail. So okay. you should be able to, when you're standing in a blaze tree, see the next, the next blaze one. tree okay. and be able to follow your way that way. Um, so yeah, so she's following the blazes. In my experience, most of the blazes I've ever seen have been, um, spray paint, which stinks because unless you have someone upkeeping on that spray paint fades after so long, mm. so that kind of sucks, but this trail is well-marked. So she's following it correctly, doing everything right, but it's still different doing that with someone versus doing it alone. But this is Jerry's dream and George still supporting her. So she's like, you know, if anything, I got to do it for him. He's taken months out of his life yeah. to you know, help me do this. So she shakes off that feeling and she goes forward with her goal of completing her hike. And after a few days, she's got a pretty good feel for it. And it's not too bad. George is meeting her along the way sometimes. And even like in the morning when he drops her off, he hikes a little bit in with her and then mm. turns back and goes to the car. So she still feels like she's got someone yeah. there. And he's still meeting her. You know, they're on track. It's going good. And then he's text, they're texting back and forth, which I'm imagining. I'm not sure, but I'm imagining that she keeps her phone off and turns it on to text him and then turns it back off. Otherwise, I don't know what yeah, she charging it. phone charging methods they had back in 2013. But <laughs> So anyway, we're going to jump forward a lot. Again, we do this a lot in this episode. We kind of jump forward in time, but that's just because there's like key dates. So July 21st, 
Jerry's been on her own for like three weeks or so now without her hiking partner. And she's doing pretty good still. She's still texting George and today is their meeting day on July 21st. They're supposed to meet. So they arrive at this agreed upon location. George loads her up with enough food and water and fire starting materials for at least a few days. And they spend the rest of the day and they met this couple and they kind of spend a few hours with them hanging out and laughing and talking and kind of bonding over their uncommon lifestyles because they're also hiking. The, yeah. The, we're called the AT for sake of not having to say it, but it's the Appalachian Trail. Affectionately known throughout as the AT. Jerry celebrates a huge feat for her because she finally hit her 1,000 miles of the oh, Appalachian so Trail. So she's done. She's not done because she wants to make it to Maine. Oh. But she hit the landmark that she was wanting to hit of 1,000 miles. Okay. She's got 1,000 miles plus of hiking experience under her boots at this point. How much trail. does she have left? Um, like, like a couple hundred maybe. Okay. That's not terrible. Because mm-hmm. I think she's only doing 1,200 miles of it. Oh, so she's so only like, got like 200 yeah, miles. She's already in Maine at this point. Oh, so she's yeah. already in Maine. Yeah. She's okay. just not to her, to the place she wants to be in, but she's in, I mean, Maine's a big state. Oh, so she's, almost, she's like right there. Yeah. She's okay. close to the finish line pretty much. Please tell me this lady, I will be very upset if this lady, something happens to this lady if she doesn't at least finish this. Oh, gosh. Well, let's stay optimistic. Oh, God, Amanda. (laughs) So they're hanging out with this other couple, and they they get into, like, a little bit of a squabble over something irrelevant and silly, but they get over it. You know, they're married for long enough. They've been married for decades at this point, like 40-something years. So, like, it's normal. They have Mm -hmm. little squabbles. But they kiss to say their goodbyes and then reaffirm reaffirm the plan that in three days, Jerry will trek the 32 miles to the next meeting point. And then they'll meet back up mm-hmm. and exchange stuff and keep doing that a few more times till she reaches the end. So George departs in his SUV like always. But positive, vibrant, and optimistic were just some of the words that were used to describe Jerry by her family, but she's also very methodical and modest. And on July 22nd, the day after she meets with her husband, um, about 10.30 in the morning, she's walking down the trail and the urge to pee strikes her, which like oh, nature calls, literally. So she's like, you know, of, of respectful womanhood. She's like, I'm not just going to pee here in the open of this busy trail. It's a popular trail. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people come through here. She's like, I'm going to step off a little bit and go do my business in like a less observable part, oh, you know. And then, yeah. So she just kind of moves a little bit. That's not super visible from the trail. She does her business. She pulls her pants back up and she kind of looks up in her eyes, look for the, where she came from, but she doesn't really see it. Just takes a few steps forward and does like a 180 and still can't see the trail. So she's like, did I walk straight or did I turn when I came back uh-huh. here? Did I go this way? Takes a few more steps in a couple different directions, but still doesn't really see anything that she recognizes. And so she doesn't like panic right away. She's like, it's, you know, everything's fine. And she's pretty resilient after all. She just kind of keeps looking for the trail and kind of meandering this little distance or, you know, looking around and she walked a few dozen feet. Couldn't have been that far. Um, and then she searches for what seems like a fair chunk of time. And then she decides to text George. So like, I'm not going to do all this and get lost in all these woods. I'm going to call George. So at 11.01 in the morning that she texts him, she says the following. In some trouble, got off the trail to go to the bathroom, now lost. Can you call to see if a trail maintainer can help me somewhere north of Woods Road, XOX? So that's the first text that she sends okay. to George. Up until now, it was all good. Everything was going fine, and everything was fine up until the moment that little icon indicating that the message failed to send pops up on her phone next to her message. Just a minor mishap, but with that text not sending, panic starts to slowly creep in. Yeah. Oh, shit. And over the next 90 minutes, Jerry would resend that text 10 more times, trying to get some kind of response up to George. Was she that far away from the trail that the signal wasn't going through? She was just in a part of the Appalachian Mountains oh. where there's not a lot of signal to begin with. So day turns to night. Jerry can really do nothing but just set up a camp and hope that in the morning that, you know, bring some help. 
Um, she probably didn't sleep at all that night. I know I wouldn't have. So July 23rd, 2013, Jerry's been lost now for a little over 24 hours. So she's like off the trail. She's like, can't get a text out. She gets her phone and again, with a hope and a prayer, she sends a second text and it's 4.18 in the afternoon when she sends lost since yesterday off trail three or four miles. Call police for what to do, please. XOX. This just like the others doesn't just send. Sense. Full panic sets in. Jerry's yeah. like, oh God, what do I do? So now I'm going to pause and see if you think like Jerry or if you think like a hiker because there's relevance to this. So. Rachel's not a huge hiker, no. so there's not going to be any kind Hence of pressure. The, the feces from the squirrel sending me into a full-blown <laughs> panic attack. I can imagine being completely lost. Yeah. So, so you're in the woods in a state that you don't know, and you're lost in the woods. What are you doing? I'm not going to lie. Okay. Okay. So I feel like it probably wouldn't be that good, but I, I, I did grow up watching, like, Bear Grylls and, like... Those kind of people. Okay. So you have a little bit of like technical not, <laughs> not a lot because this was years ago that we would sit there and watch. Um, but I feel like just because I, I expect the worst from everything, I think if I knew if I was going off trail, I would set up a marker. You know what I mean? Like to lead me back. Oh, like when you're going to go to the bathroom. You because I'm paranoid. Marker. That's smart. Because I'm paranoid. I feel like I would have like broken off like a twig or at least like – before I pee, like, okay, I, I came from that way. Let me just throw a fucking rock in that direction or something where I could be like, oh, I threw the rock in that direction. I need to go over there. Granted, she didn't. I know that's not what you're asking. She didn't do that. So your plan is just not get lost. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. essentially. It's a good plan. I mean, but it's all a plan. If that still didn't work, because honestly, my life is my life. So that probably still would have, like, for all I know, that same fucking squirrel could have moved my fucking marker. And then I'm still SOS. <laughs> yeah, he followed you from a different state <laughs> to fuck with you when you're lost in the woods. I think I would have been like, I know you can tell the directions of everything by the sun. Yes. So I probably, I can't personally do that. Well, no, I can. Never eat soggy waffles. Okay. The, so the sun always sets on the... <laughs> Wait a second. Wait a second. Never eat soggy waffles. Northeast, southwest. See, when I was growing up, it was nerds eat shredded wheat, and that's my Bible as far as I'm concerned, directionally. Well... Smoke over fire, not smoke over fire. It's the same thing. <laughs> tomato, tomato. So uh, those are your ECG leads, waffle. by the way. If you ever need to attach ECG, EKG, ECG, what are they? They're the same. Uh, the, those leads, it's white on right. That's not racist, by the way. And smoke over fire. So she's, she's not wrong. On the right side, you attach. Anyway, not relevant. But <laughs> um, I think I would have tried to figure out the sunsets on the west, right? Yes, it rises in the east. Rises in the east, sets on the west. Okay. So I would have figured out from then. I'm sure at some point, if you've been hiking for a thousand miles. Or wait, does it set in the west? You see, at that point, I'm fucked. No, it does set in the west and rise in the east because the sun goes down when we watch it at Fort Mary's Beach and it's the west. So yeah. Sure. Okay. I would have been with homegirl Janine and would have been like, I'm sure at some point that would have came up and, or like that five day course, like, you know, yeah, the sun and that, that would have and I would have probably had a compass on me, you know, like, right. That would have been very, very so, so I would have known, like, I need to go the trail. Does she, does she have a map or something like that? I don't know that she has a map. I would imagine not because okay, she doesn't so use it if she has it. Cause then I'm like, okay, 
if I'm on the trail and I'm in the wilderness, I'm at least knowing like husband's east because the road's over there and, you know, something like I would have like at least know where the trail is in relation to me. Right. So I'm like, okay, I need to head back that way. Right. Like if I know I'm leaving east side off of the trail to go pee because I went east into the wilderness, then I know that I need to go back west because I need to go back in the opposite direction. Is that... So how are you going to determine west? Like, are you just because of the sun, sun, yeah. Just going to sleep at night and wait for the sun to come up and like. I probably honestly wouldn't sleep either, um, just because I would be like <laughs> um, paranoid <laughs> and like God knows what's out here. Uh, I think they have like what bears and cougars and shit. Yes, they but, do. Yeah, so I probably just would have waited for the sun and been like, okay, I need to go that way, and then pray and fingers crossed and. Does she not do that? She does not do that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, That's just me panicking. Like, like, and no, those are very smart things. What would you do? What, what, are you, what are you supposed to do in that so situation? So in that situation, I would do what you did or oh, okay. um, I've always been a proponent of you find a body of water and you follow it downstream. Oh. Because nine times out of ten, it's going to lead to a big body of water. And what's in your big body of water? Cities and stuff. Cities and houses and communities and stuff. Okay. So that's always been my go-to. But in the event that there isn't a body of water, like yeah. a stream or a river, I'm going to wait for sunrise, follow the sun in the morning, stop midday, and do that every morning. Because otherwise, your sun's going you know, across oh. the sky. So if you're following it all day long, you're going to be following it in, on, a circle. in a circle. Yeah. So I would probably just hike for a few hours in the morning, try to follow the sun, um, or at least like traverse around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately for Jerry, she doesn't do that. Um, Jerry decides that her best option right now Sydney. for survival, no, to try to get cell phone um, signals. Like so she, she climbs a tree. She climbs a mountain. She starts climbing and ascending mountains. But there's sometimes there's not signal up in those mountains, right? Well, yeah, that's a good point. Not just that, but when the directors are sending the search party out to look for her, whenever they do look for her, they they tell all the people, look for her, like think like a hiker. What would a hiker do? Well, a hiker would follow a stream or would go for a logging road or would try to find some way down, not up. So, Um, yeah, it made it really hard for them to find her. Oh, so those texts did did end up going through. Well, we'll see. So Jerry has climbed up into a steeper mountain range and in desperation, she wedges herself into this really remote area that has a really thick canopy of trees. Like can't really see through it down. It's never what you want. People are looking for you. You want to be visible from the sky. Um, so July 24th comes around. George is at the meeting spot and Jerry, who he hasn't heard from in two days, is not there. He waits a while, but eventually he grows concerned enough that he's like, okay, something happened. Mm-hmm. And he files a missing person report with the police. The response from that is a full-scale search party of epic magnitude. And I'm like talking 130 people or more armed to the nine with horses, dogs, helicopters, ATVs. I told you. <laughs> I told you. Sorry, just panicking. <laughs> so, sorry. I, I just got a text from this boy that I was... <laughs> needing a text back from or else I was just going to spiral into God. I'm going to spiral. <laughs> I was already spiraling. <laughs> and Amanda was telling me that he was going to text me back. And I was like, no, he's taking too long. It's been 30 minutes. No, nope. but he just, he just got the text back. So, so and sorry. It was what she wanted. So, okay. Anyways, hold on. Continue. <laughs> so she's got 130 people out there looking for her and they do call her phone and it doesn't ring through, but it pings. It produces like a little cell phone ping. And they trace it to this little area that's not super far from the trail. So they just comb it. They scour both sides of the trail. 
and they're they come up empty and then the wardens get together and they're like they say that famous line think like a hiker mm. go a finder but think like a hiker so they're all out there focusing on logging roads and like looking for places that an experienced hiker would go you know but that reason failed because jerry had experience hiking but she didn't think like a hiker. She thought like the 66-year-old grandmother and stay-at-home wife that she was. And she thought her cell phone was going to be the, the savior. So she went in search of a cell phone signal, which is the opposite of what the rescuers were thinking that she was going to do. Question. If we're going off my limited experience and my panicked thought process, yes. would I have survived? Probably, yes. Oh, okay. So especially in a mountain range like that, I mean, like it's... It's possible you're going to find somewhere with a signal, but if you're in the middle of nowhere, elevation's probably not. Right, I always figured, yeah, like elevation, because you're, yeah. it's the mountain, like right. there's nothing, there's no signal there. And then she did do that five day course. You would imagine at some point they had some kind of instruction on what to do. Like, like what, or would have broken it down or something. Right yeah. Yeah. She started moving immediately. Like there was no time wasted. She was immediately like, oh, where to go? <laughs> She made that fateful decision to chase that potential phone signal, and in doing so, she climbed the highest ridge that she can find, and she was stuck within such a remote part of the area that searchers would just continuously neglect to check it. Not out of fault of them, but just because it wasn't a place that they ever thought that she would be. So the search continues for over 10 days from the day that she's reported disappeared, but nothing comes up. And the part of the story that gets really convoluted, really convoluted, is the portion of the mountain range includes 12,500 acres that it's a big stretch. It's closed to the public. And what's special about that? You might wonder not really anything. If you don't count the fact that it's owned by none other than the United States Navy. Now what's the Navy doing with such an expansive primitive wilderness? You ask bomb testing. No, it's their seer school. Of course. That's a seer school. I was hoping you'd ask. (laughs) Sierra is a school where Navy sends students to literally be tortured in the name of training. So Sierra stands for survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. And the premise is basically this really wicked role-playing game where the staff pretend to be like enemies and they'll capture the students and subject them to torture practices like a mock prisoner of war camp. But I'm assuming if they capture, I'm assuming they know no 60-year-old woman is being in their seer probe. So if they see her, they'll save her, right? Oh, you would think that they would get involved in some way. You would hope. You would hope. Yeah. But they they capture her and they just treat her like a prisoner of war? No, 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 no. Oh. So these um, little activities that they do to their students include being waterboarded, being beaten, being forced to sit and stand in what are called stress positions, which are probably really uncomfortable thing, like ways to mm-hmm. contort your body. They did this Leaving to a six-year-old them. woman? No, they did this to all of their students. Oh. They haven't found Jerry okay. yet. Okay. I think they found her in their first <laughs> thought process is like, torture. <laughs> Waterboard this bitch. Like, really? You can't just be like... It was the trauma from being lost in the wilderness for days wasn't enough of a... Like, the not like... You clearly, like, one of these things is not like the other. Like, one of these things doesn't belong. Maybe you should go home. Like... Grandmother wanders on their property and they're... Like, like, waterboard it. Oh, God. But they did do a lot of really awful things there. And they would, like, just, like, lock students in coffins. Like, really trying to teach them how to escape and evade capture if they're in, like, enemy territory. Okay. And they use that expansive wilderness to kind of simulate that. Okay. So think, you know, Jerry Logay went missing in their theoretical backyard. So I know you're thinking, surely they're going to help look for her. Yeah. Well, let me surprise you. The very next day after she goes missing, like 70 total, which was like 30 students and 40 staff members show up to play their little sick torture game with not a single word about Jerry. 
they just continue on like nothing else. Oh, like they knew about it and they're like, well, we're not going to participate. Well, in so some of like the commander or whatever yeah. officers knew about it. I don't know that all the students had heard about it yet. Probably because it was on TV at this point. But either way, they had an opportunity to be like, hey, if you guys see this person, please let us know. Mm-hmm. But they didn't want to do that because that would break the rules of pretending that they're enemies and like playing this little role playing game. Oh, that's kind so, of cool. Nothing like the United you can States still play your... to prioritize a game over an American life. You can still really... play a role play game and then like be like you BTW. Could. Like yeah. if you see this like break breakout of character and they could have they could have even like taken a day off and like helped the search party Mm -hmm. considering it was their property now they did let people in to like search it but that's the extent of like how much they helped Mm -hmm. really patriotic of the navy to put their game above the life of an american really nice poor me jerry so rescuers continue their search they're starting to lose hope and like steam start to slow down they start shrinking their search area and they have basically one of two hypotheses either she fell into a crevice in the mountainscape and died or she dug herself into such a difficult remote spot that no one could find her and so little did they know it ended up being the latter and that was actually quoted almost exactly from the mainer um, who wrote an article about the douchebag that wrote a book about her and her death and made a bunch of money off of it but didn't like talk to the family or share any of that with the family. Are you serious? Yeah, that's another interesting article. I highly recommend you guys go read that because that's that guy up. has some some brazen balls. Let me tell you. But I digress. July twenty seventh, twenty thirteen. Jerry's been alone in the main wilderness now for five days. She turns on her phone and she resends the text that she sent on the twenty third, which is the one where she asked her husband to call the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also does not send, as we know. She. I don't know that if she knew that there was a massive search effort underway for her at this point or not. So a few days later, July 30th, Jerry sends out four more text messages, the contents of which I could not find. I don't think they're available to the public. At that time, the search party is contained to this 14-mile area of the Carabasset Valley region of Maine. Is that the part that she's in? Nope. Oh, nope. Sure is not. Somewhere between April 3rd and April 5th or so, Jerry's cell phone dies, and any hope of determining her location via her phone dies with it. So at this point, she has her campsite kind of set up. She's had it set up for some time, and she's kind of staying in the site. Can't they track her phone via satellite? So they tried to ping it because I think she's keeping it off and turning it on to send text. I don't know if you can track it when it's off. But, like, I'm sure if they – Well, they got that ping, and they went. They searched the area, and they couldn't find anything. And that was – Is that the area that she was in that they pinged her? Potentially. Why wouldn't she just duck down in that? I don't know. But they looked for her. They said they couldn't find her based on the ping, so – so at this point, she put up her like final shelter, like the, the the main one that she stayed in, like a couple days into her trip, and she ends up staying there for like three to four weeks, and she's like oh, living wow. out of this little shelter, and oh. she's got like this heat reflective, you know, those like silver weird tinfoily looking mm-hmm. blankets. She's got that like kind of pinned up like a canopy, and it's both to provide her a little more shelter and to hopefully allow someone flying overhead to see it. Yeah, but what she's neglecting to realize is, is that, that there's the, so much yeah, bushes trees, and trees, yeah. no one's gonna see her. So she's also run out of the food and the water that she had. And worst of all, she's out of her medications. So along with the fact that you're starving and, you know, subjected to the elements in the middle of the woods for a week, you've now got severe anxiety and it's clouding your judgment and your instincts. And you begin to start making decisions that just aren't really conducive to survival. So remember, Jerry took a bunch of matches and lighters with her when she left. Yeah. There's no evidence that she even tried to construct a fire despite being surrounded by like really easily flammable dry brush. So she does attempt to light trees on fire. There was like three trees, two of which are still standing next to her camp. They're dead, but they're still, you know. Yeah. And there's like, when they 
found it, there was like char on the bark. Like okay. she'd been trying to light a whole tree on fire, but she didn't, for whatever reason. A whole tree. Yeah. But she didn't, for whatever reason, just get some brush. And yeah. we could have started a signal fire and probably had been found just by doing that. And that's like Boy Scout stuff. You know, yeah. you make a signal fire. So I'm not really sure if that was the reason why she wasn't really making the best decisions or didn't have the best judgment. Um, but unbeknownst to her, the search party at that time is dismantled and nobody's really looking wow. for her anymore. They kind of, it's been 12 days and they're like, you know, so she has that journal, remember, and she writes in it pretty much every day. And on August 6th, she writes a final journal entry and she didn't know it at the time, but at the exact same time that she was writing that journal entry, her husband was giving a televised speech regarding his wife, Aww. basically being like, we've accepted Jerry's gone. We have to move forward. You know, we haven't really found a body yet, but like. 98% of people that go missing in the main woods are found within 24 hours statistically. Yeah. So the fact that she hadn't been found, there was no trace of her. Right. They thought at that time, like if she had fallen into some crevice, she's definitely dead by now. And anything else that would have happened to her two weeks after she's probably, if not dead, she's not any place that we could find her because right. we've looked everywhere already. So that was kind of the thought process. They just kind of assume that she's dead except that she wasn't, she was still there sleeping on a bed that she made of pine needles, small trees and dirt. And she laid there snuggled in her sleeping bag and wrote goodbye letters to all of her loved ones. Mm -hmm. And each one had their own little journal entry, but she wrote a note to George and they did publicize that note. So I'm going to read it. Okay. But the last note that she wrote, she wrote, when you find my body, please call my husband, George and my daughter, Carrie. It will be the greatest kindness for them to know that I am dead and where you found me, no matter how many years from now. Please find it in your heart to mail the contents of this bag to one of them. So really, really sad. It's terrible. April 18th, four weeks after she goes missing, Jerry writes her last journal entry. It is suspected that she was not in her right mind by this time. So it's unsure if she tracked her days properly. Mm -hmm. But if she did, that would have meant that she made it four weeks after being lost with no food, no water, no medications. So really, really sad. Her family accepts her demise. She knows this at this point. She's like, it's four weeks. Mm-hmm. My family knows I'm probably dead by now. But still, she writes her goodbye notes. And then we're going to jump a, quite a bit forward, a little over two years. We're going to go to October 2015. Oh, okay. Oh, that's what. That's how long it took to find the body? That's how long it took. Wow. So October 2015, when she was missing in July of 2013. A land surveyor working for the Navy is out assessing the property, and he stumbles upon what looks like an old campsite. There's remnants of a shiny silver tarp billowing near what looks to be like a sleeping bag. And among the atoms scattered nearby, there's a journal. Surveyor calls police and a positive ID is made. It's the body of Geraldine Largay. She was still at her final campsite. And even though two years prior, she was only one mile away from where her cell phone pinged the day that they called her. Oh, no. How'd they not find her? Well, they ended up after they discovered her body, they revealed that search parties came within 100 yards of her campsite. The only reason they didn't find it is there was a small mountain ridge separating the searchers from her, as well as a ridge separating her from where the Navy held their survival games every day. So she's literally a stone's throw from civilization on both ends. Oh, wow. It sucks. Officials were also saddened to learn that her campsite was literally a 20-minute walk from the nearest road. No. There were towns and intersections in almost every direction had she just walked, walked the, in the direction and yeah. walked. Oh. She would have found someplace. It was ultimately her decision to camp down and hope to be found, and that's sadly what did lead to her demise. It's not her fault. No, it's okay. It's not her fault, but it's just sadly the reality of she died because she made some really bad choices. And her husband and her family, after they were notified of her body being located, He said this, he said, 
Jerry died doing what she loved. And after meeting her personal goal of 1000 miles at that, she would never want to dissuade anyone from going out and doing what they wanted to do. Yeah. So don't let Jerry's story dissuade you from doing something crazy or impossible that some people might perceive. On average, six people a year go missing on the trail, on the Appalachian Trail. Mm -hmm. Most of them are solo hikers who get lost or get injured, but it is estimated that throughout the years, there's been hundreds of people that have gone missing. Majority of them have been found. One exception is a six-year-old boy named Dennis Martin that disappeared in the Smoky Mountains region of the trail in 1969. He was never found. Oh, like they didn't even recover his body? Never to this day. Never been found. I've heard some creepy stories about the Smoky Mountains, like some like spiritual, like weird shit. There's a lot of creepy stuff. And it's like, even where I went in Virginia, um, like George Washington National Forest and all that Mm -hmm. is technically a part kind of, of the trail. It's like a sub part. Yeah. There's a lot of like little parts that come off of it. But yeah, I I definitely would like to do the Appalachian Trail at some, maybe not, but well, I'd like to do the whole thing, Mm -hmm. but that's like half of a year or more of my life. You so could I just do know. it in your RV. Yeah, it's not a drivable trail, but I could drive alongside it. Hmm? Yeah. But anyway, that's a really sad one, I know, but yeah. that's the very true and devastating story of Jerry Largay and those those texts that I said were verbatim, how she sent them. Um, and she died a really prolonged death, and she ended up dying from starvation and just exposure to the elements. Oh. So really, really sad, yeah. I do have a really cool, too cool for school fact for you, though. Okay, let's hear it. So the Appalachian Mountain Range, it is so old that it predates the creation of the North American continent. So, Whoa, really? Mm-hmm. So our like Pangea? Range, yeah, the mountain range was here before the continent as we know it was here. Oh, damn. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. That's pretty wild. So we're never going to leave you guys in an episode like this without telling you what to do if you find yourself in the position of our victim. So I'm going to go over some recommendations that I pulled right from the Forest Service of USDA website. If you find yourself lost in the woods, here's some free advice. Save yourself. <clears throat> That's it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. How? So as soon as you realize you may be lost, stop. Stay calm. Stay put. Panic is your greatest enemy. Go over in your mind how you got to where you are. What landmarks should you be able to see? Do not move at all unless you have a specific reason to take a step which is a big thing that Geraldine didn't do. She immediately started moving. If you have a compass, now is a good time to get it out. If you are on a trail, stay on it. All trails are marked with signs, some with diamond blazers or markers. However, sometimes signs are vandalized, stolen, or missing, so don't use that as your, like, dead set plan. As a last effort, if you cannot find your way back, follow a drainage or a stream downhill. If none are available, wait until sunrise, walk towards the sun. Mm-hmm. This is often a difficult path, by the way, if you're, especially if you're following a waterway. There tends to be a lot of, like, rocky, you know, terrain and, like, hills and dangerous stuff. So just use your judgment. But usually waterways are going to lead you to some kind of, like, a trail or a road or civilization. But don't move anywhere without staying put for long enough for rescuers to find you. Because if you went missing off a specific area and they're going to, like, look for that area, mm-hmm. you want to be there when they look for you. Obviously, if you're there for like 12 to 36 hours and nobody comes for you, you can move away and try to use your judgment to find safety. But this depends on the availability of resources. Try to wait as long as you can unless you're like running out of water or there's a wild animal or a weather threat. Lastly, never attempt to traverse difficult terrain at night. Always wait for morning, hike during daylight. Most injuries happen in this manner and a small injury can impact your chance for survival significantly. If you are on a hot trail or like a hot area, avoid traveling between the hours of 10 and 4. Just find a shady spot. Stay there until the temperature cools down. Good info. Yeah. Yeah. 
So our hint for the last episode for this one was not all who wander are lost, but some are. Makes sense. The next one is really lame, but I couldn't find a better one. Not all people named Arthur are famous kings. Okay. There you go. What a hint. <laughs> Simple Google search won't reveal that one. Now I have a joke of the day. And as okay. you know, I like to dad jokes. Yes, let's hear it. And I like them to be relevant. What did the guide tell the hikers when he needed to take a break from his job? Take a hike. Oh, that's even a better one. <laughs> May the forest be with oh, you. Oh, God. <laughs> I like yours better, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Take a hike. <laughs> All right. So our question of the day, this one's going to be hopefully a little bit better than the last one. So it would mean a lot to me if you had to answer it. Uh, <laughs> our question is, what is your lifetime's most ambitious goal? And did you achieve it or will you achieve it? And why or why not if you feel so inclined to answer it? Um, I don't think mine is too ambitious. It's, it's, I just want to have a farm, have my CBT. If I'm feeling super ambitious, go for like boards, like special, oh, like specialized and like ideally either like rehabilitation or behavior because those seem like the most fun. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, have six kids, each one from different race and each one from a different baby daddy. I don't, I wouldn't say those are too ambitious at all. Okay. <laughs> Mine would probably be the the bus life thing, and I I think that I will achieve it. I just think it's to take me a little more time than I'm than I'm thinking when I think about it. I think it's take me longer, but that's okay. Good things come to those who wait. Yeah. I want to run through our sources really quickly. The information I collected for this episode was compiled from a variety of sources. I did cross check them for accuracy. As always, if I made a mistake, please send me a message. I would love to correct it. Keep our information accurate and reliable. I pulled information from Mainer News. New York Times, the Tennessean.com, AppalachianTrail.com, Syracuse.com, and Washington Post. So all the information that we got came from there. So if anything's wrong, go yell at them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, my cat said, damn it. <laughs> all right. Well, we haven't plugged our socials yet this episode. So please go follow us on Instagram, One Nothing Podcast. We're also on TikTok. I'm getting a little better with posting like better content on TikTok and not just like pictures with music behind it. But you know, it takes a lot to do this. So get off my back and just like my shit. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll convince me to post better stuff. I don't know, but we do post a lot. Um, I'm always interacting with you guys on Instagram as far as the questions. So please answer your question of the day over there. It would make me really happy to have something to actually discuss on the next episode. Right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. We like hearing from you. I do. I don't know. Rachel doesn't fuck, fuck about you guys. <laughs> I tell you. No. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> She's just here for the beer, okay? Oh, the, the the mimosas. I'm here for the mimosas. There you go. Ugh, I have like a weird twitch in my um, temple. I can feel it twitching. Oh. It's concerning. It's broke out. <laughs> well. <laughs> all right, guys. That's all I got for you today. Um, any questions? Comments? Concerns? No, I I, th- I just think it's... We- are we sure this wasn't, like, foul play? I'm pretty sure. I mean, she was found dead alone and left the journal of all of her But it, do you not think it's a little odd that somebody who was so, like... It's not like she'd never hiked before, you know what I mean? Like, why would she... Not that... Mo- all respect to her and her family, but, like, I just think it's odd that someone who has enough experiences that is making, like, 
rookie yeah, beginner she did mistakes. Make really bad choices. But in her defense, I just think that just through the months of hiking, she'd grown for using her cell phone so much as like a uh, way to communicate, and like that was her link. That I think that that's like she had like judgment. tunnel vision About. when that happened. She's like, oh, okay. I gotta get my phone to work. Like, okay. She didn't really think, you know. Yeah. Like, I need to be making decisions based logical on logical decisions. Right. Okay. Yeah. So don't ever do that, guys. If you're in the wilderness, don't like go into a place where rescuers can't find you. I mean, that sounds like common sense, but I'm not hating on her. I mean, I feel bad, but yeah, you can't do these hikes and not be experienced in what to do if stuff goes wrong because stuff is gonna go wrong at some point in time. Just gotta be ready for it. Ugh, what a doozy. Yeah. I say it every time. I swear they get worse and worse. <laughs> the next one's going to be really hard. So, um, shoot, I don't even know when that is. Let's look up the date on that. When's the next episode coming out? You think I would know? Considering it's your podcast. Right. Yeah. Well, two weeks from today. So, what's that going to be? The May 2nd, it looks like. May 2nd? Yeah, May 2nd. When's that? May 2nd. Ugh. Tuesday after next. Hold on, I'm in September. What? Okay. <laughs> We're not releasing it in September. Okay. Our fans aren't sticking around that long. Okay. Oh, no, I see it. Okay. <laughs> oh, so you do it, like, like basically, like, every two weeks. Every other two weeks. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for joining in. Yeah, of course. This is, like, your third time on here. Of it's course. good to know the schedule. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad to have Rachel here. Last time was really boring. We spent most of the time just, like, missing being like, oh, you miss Rachel. Yeah, right. <laughs> I did say that once or twice to them. You were like, probably like, we I get it. I would pause and then be like, see, here's where Rachel would make a joke. We would all laugh. <laughs> but we're not going to do that. Last one was gnarly, though. I don't know if you heard it, but it was like, put like a 911 call of like the oh, witness wow. who watched this girl like get drowned by an alligator. Oh my God. And the footage. It was pretty, pretty crazy. Her dog lived. Oh, that's good. I mean, I'm sorry that I would rather her live, but I'm, I'm glad that her dog. I'm glad them both live. Well, I mean, like between the two, you know. Right. Okay, well, <laughs> I joke, no, but yeah, poor Geraldine, poor Gloria, poor all of our victims. Yeah, we'll be back in two weeks to talk about another one. So, another victim, yeah. I actually just enjoy like learning about them because there's so much bad things that happen in the world that, like, I don't even bother with the news anymore just because it's like they say these, you know, like, oh, murder here, you know, someone died there. It's like they're just, yeah, de- I get desensitized to it because it's like, you know, it's just another name. Like, I'm sure if like when this aired, it was like, oh, Gerald, you know, a, a woman by name Geraldine was found. And it's like, okay. But like when we get into depths, like, I feel for her because I'm like, mm-hmm. she's just like this poor little old woman who's trying to like she have was, sense, she was so sweet. like like a like a purpose in life. And she's like, listen, I'm done with working. I'm retired. You know, these are my hobbies. I want to get in. Her husband was, you know, sincere and like invested she enough was, like, to. Oh, that was her wow. the trailhead when oh she was embarking God. on her own. You see, and then like this one, I actually like feel. F- you know, I I feel for them. And then I'll post this as well later on, guys. But here's the map of the trail area. Mm-hmm. So this dotted line here is the Appalachian Trail. That's mm-hmm. where she was supposed to meet George. That's where she died. And that's oh, where wow. she was last seen. She was so supposed she, to be there. Was she coming she from was this direction? To meet, yeah. She was oh, okay. last seen there. And then she was supposed to. That was where she had that photo taken at the mm-hmm. Poplar Lean to. Mm-hmm. And then she was supposed to meet him up here. But look, she was barely off the trail. Yeah. Oh, that's where she went missing? That's where her remains were found. Oh, oh yeah, she was barely off the trail. And that's this yellow box is the Navy's property. So she was in it. And they would train over here. What's that? 
Um, that's the whole area of Maine, and that little red box is this whole box. Here. Oh, it's just showing I see, you I a, see. like a frame of reference. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, like that's incredibly sad. She died so close. All these waterways that she could have followed either direction, it would have taken her north to the trail, south into a trail, yeah. east. It would have run in right underneath the training facility. She had, if she had just walked somewhere, she'd probably still be here. That's so sad. It is really sad. But that's why we're here to talk about these victims and, you know, get their name out there a little bit and then hopefully teach some people how to avoid these situations. We don't want to do episodes on you guys. No. Well, I mean. I don't know. We might have some jerks listening. So. Well, I mean, like, if, if everybody just lives in a, and dies in a very boring way, we'd kind of be out of a podcast. I mean, you got a good point. Yeah, so go die and no. stir <laughs> some material. So we, no, 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 no. Don't do that. All right. Well, I'm going to cut this one loose. You guys have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Rachel, for being a part of this of one. Of course. And as always, until next time, stay golden. Not even close. What is the usually? Stay alive. Stay alive. What part of this podcast makes you want to be golden? I don't know. This is the point. We're sharing this information so you can stay golden, guys. <laughs> stay alive. Bye.